You know, nowadays with um, the technology built in right into our phones, it's not too hard to take a good picture. I mean, the automatic exposure settings, the automatic focus are, are quick, are accurate, and we can get good pictures right away. But over 10 years ago, there was this company called Lytro, and they came out with a camera back then that allows you to refocus the picture after taking the shot they advertise it as shoot now focus later using what they called in this technology light field that it separates rays of light and records their individual characteristics and then the, you can go back to that picture and be able to manipulate it in that you can refocus without the use of software well, this, with this camera, the, the founder of the company was talking about how you can still get a good shot, like when he was taking a picture of his toddler running around and, and uh, wouldn't stay still. So he was talking about how even after he took the picture, you can refocus and get a good picture. Now, I don't think that was a big seller back then, but in, uh, through the years, they came out with different products. And in 2018, the company and the technology was acquired by Google. But I was thinking about that. Sometimes what we see is blurry. And you and I, we need to refocus. Refocus our heart, our mind, our motives, our purpose. Refocus on Jesus. And so tonight, as we continue on here in our study in the book of Luke, we find the disciples are in need to refocus on Jesus. And once again, we're going to be studying verse 37 through 45, Luke chapter 9. Now, our outline is this. We need to refocus basically on Jesus when, number one, dark times come. Number two, when things seem good. Number three, when it makes no sense. So let's begin here. Number one, we need to refocus on Jesus. Basically, number one, these are our points too. When dark times come. When dark times come. Now, in this section, we're going to be covering verse 37 through 42. Verse 37 through 42. But let's begin with verse 37, first of all. It says here, On the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And we'll stop right here. Now we begin on the next day. On the next day after the transfiguration, what we studied last week, the previous section above. Now I remember in that, and what we saw, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, Mount Hermon, to pray. Just the, 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 main, the closest disciples, the leadership in that sense. And there on the mountain, if you remember, the disciples experienced a glimpse of his glory when Jesus' deity was unveiled from his humanity. And the disciples also saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus and then you remember how Peter, he wanted to stay up there, but it was time to come down and, uh, the mountain. It was time to come down the mountain, and that was when the Heavenly Father said, if you remember back in verse 35, saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. So they came down the mountain. It was the next day, and when they came down, there was a waiting crowd and the other disciples that had been left there. So we come to verse 38 now. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is 
my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So right away, Jesus comes down the mountain. They uh, come to the place where the other disciples are, and that's where the crowd is. And out of the crowd, a father comes out to ask Jesus to cast out a demon from his boy, his only son now. And, and this demon, he describes, the father describes to Jesus, this demon will cry out. Now can you imagine suddenly out from the out. out from this boy using the vocal cords of this boy this demon cries out screams here using his vocal cords and then he throws him it says here in into convulsions basically it's like seizures he's falling on the ground like wriggling uncontrollably and then out of his mouth it foams and then this demon also the father describes it shatters him which 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 means it batters him uh it beats him up like it it just throws him on the ground his body is black and blue from this demon the demon doesn't care about his body and the demon doesn't leave him alone that's what the father says the demon is constantly abusing him physically and so while Jesus was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, while they were away, the Father had asked other disciples to cast out the demon. But sadly, the Father reports here in verse 40, they could not. Now, from the incredible mountaintop experience, Jesus and the three disciples, they come down. And they come down right into this spiritual battle with demons. Can you imagine that? In the parallel passage in Mark chapter 9, actually when Jesus came down and there was a crowd and the disciples were there, you know what? Mark describes how the scribes or the Pharisees were hassling the remaining disciples. They're like arguing. They're, they're trying to get at them when Jesus came down. So along with the demon-possessed boy, and the father's complaint of the lackability of the disciples in helping him, there was the Pharisees, the scribes there, hassling the disciples. So you can imagine from this mountaintop, Jesus comes down, Jesus and the three come down to a big mess. And you know what I was talking about? Isn't that what happens after the mountaintop retreat, right? You come down to the valley. After Maybe you've experienced the most blessed day at church. You come home to problems, a big mess going on. Maybe the biggest arguments probably happen right after being in the presence of God, right? Because, you know why? Satan wants to steal the blessing. Satan wants to bring you down and discourage you. Satan comes with everything he can and we see this going on right here. From their mountaintop experience, they come down and they got a battle with demons. Uh, Jesus is there and there's Pharisees. And, Je- and so there's this, all this commotion, a big mess going on. So from the mountaintop, went down to the valley for sure. Well, look at verse 41. So Jesus answers the Father. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear you Bear with you. Bring your son here. So with all that the father said, Jesus replies, and basically he's talking 
maybe to the disciples, maybe to the Father, but in a general way to all of Israel. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. You know what? Jesus is grieved in his heart. And, and, and not just maybe with the disciples who couldn't cast this demon out, but all of unbelieving Israel. I mean, this generation, the generation of Israel that he is walking the earth with at that time, they had drifted so far from God. I mean, once, think about it. This generation saw Jesus, or saw the, the Lord God on Mount Sinai, right? They saw the presence of God. They, the tabernacle was started. The worship started during David's day and Solomon built the temple. The glory of God came down. This nation of God, the people of Israel, had drifted, drifted all the way to this point where it grieves Jesus when he's walking on the earth that they had drifted so far from God. And Jesus even adds here in verse 41, O faithless and twisted generation. Twisted means they've been corrupted with sin. And perhaps that affected their eyes of faith in this situation. And then Jesus says, How long, in verse 41, am I to be with you and bear with you? You see, it was hard for Jesus to see, to bear, to see this nation, this people, and maybe even the disciples, most likely, even them who should have been so close to Jesus, should have known what, what to do, should have had faith. This nation that's supposed to be a people of God and see the disciples so helpless, that's what was hard, and that's what grieved his heart. It was so hard for Jesus to see them living in the poverty of God's power working in their lives. They were like people who didn't know God. They're like people without God when they were supposed to be a nation of people and disciples were disciples of Jesus. So it hurt Jesus' heart soul. It grieved him so. You know, Mark also tells us in the parallel passage in Mark 9, the disciples later on asked why they couldn't cast out the demon out of this little boy as the father requested. Jesus said it was a lack of faith. And not only that, Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 29, he said, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Interesting, isn't it? It seems like the disciples were not in prayer. Perhaps they let their devotional time goal. I believe this is another reason for their lack of power and lack of faith. Because they weren't in prayer. They weren't connected to God. Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps there's a lack of power in your life. Well, you know what? It's time to refocus on Jesus. So Jesus asked them in verse 41, he, he said, well, bring, bring your son here. And then verse 42, while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground, convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to the father. So as the boy is, bringing, uh, the boy is being, being brought to Jesus here, right? As he's there, it's like the demon wanted one last trip on him, one last thing, wanted to beat him up one more time, threw him on the ground. He convulsed again. And there, the, right in front of Jesus, here's the demon doing his best. But Jesus simply, by the word of his mouth, rebukes the demon and heals the boy, cast 
the demon out from the boy right then and there as Jesus commanded that demon to leave. Right there in front of everybody, the boy was healed and made whole. A miracle happened. You know what's interesting here, though Jesus was grieved in his heart, it didn't change his compassion for the boy, right? Even though he was like, oh, you guys, you know, you faithless, twisted generation. You're supposed to be the people of God. You're supposed to have the power of God in your life. You're supposed to be praying and connected and seeing miracles in your life. But that, even though he's, he was grieved, it didn't change that compassion that he had for the people and especially this boy and the father. A John Berridge once said, In the Gospels, Jesus often rebukes weak faith but never rejects it. And I love that. Yeah, At least the father had some faith to come to Jesus, right? At least the father had some faith that, Jesus, your disciples couldn't do it. Can you help me? At, at least he didn't just give up. Oh, the disciples are going to be, Jesus is going to be just like the disciples and walk away. He had a little tiny faith, weak faith, and Jesus even honored that. And I like what, what uh, Barrage says here. Because even though he may rebuke our weak faith, He never rejects even the little faith that we have. So this is what I want you to see here. When dark times come, put your focus on Jesus and not on the darkness. I think that's what was going on. They were in despair because of the darkness. They were in doubt because the disciples that had remained down, they couldn't do anything. The father tried everything, I'm sure. And here's this boy, you know, helpless. The father's helpless. He's in despair, and that's all he could see. But when dark times come, we have to put our focus on Jesus and not on the darkness. We got to do that. Jesus is greater than any demon. Jesus has the power to save us from the oppression and the spiritual battle. You know, there was a time I remember, it seemed like every time I was on a missions trip away from home, it, it seemed Kristen would have to face some giant bug or some, something in the house, a centipede, you know. And without fail, yeah, when I'm gone, here, here it comes, you know. And, and maybe they knew. <laughs> oh, the guy who really kills them is gone. The, the, the one who screams when, <laughs> whenever they see me. You know, or, you know what? Maybe it was, it was the enemy. Maybe it was Satan trying to discourage my wife, you know, bring fear, stress her out. I mean, I was thinking about this. Centipedes look like demonic creatures anyway, right? <laughs> right? Well, sometimes the spiritual warfare does get intense. Is that what you've been through this week? Maybe these past days, maybe you had a great day in church and you come home and then all of a sudden it seems like all hell breaks loose. Problems after problem. You're feeling, you ever feel that oppression? You ever feel like, I I mean, so many times I feel discouraged, you know, and I'm thinking, why? Why? God, you've blessed me. Sometimes I, I, I feel this heaviness Sometimes there's just this darkness or things are happening and going, what is going on? Problems falling left and right. And, and it's easy for us to get stressed out. It's easy for us to get, to get discouraged and depressed. And, and there's that intense oppression. You know what it does? 
it gets your eyes off of Jesus and it gets it on the problem. It's designed to, to get you looking at how bad things are. It's designed to get your eyes off the hope in Jesus and get you on your issue and what's going on. It's part of the design. So tonight, when dark times come, and if they're here, put your focus on Jesus, not on the darkness. Look at what Jesus did here. Look at his power here. Get your eyes on Jesus. Refocus on the one who is way more powerful and can do more and command demons. And no matter what a demon can do, God is much more powerful. So refocus your eyes on Jesus. So when the dark dark times come, we see this. We need to refocus and see what Jesus can do. Let's go to number two. When things seem good. When things seem good. And here, we're going to look at verse 43 and 44. But let's begin with verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of, of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, and we'll stop right there, but uh, um, uh, we'll just look at an and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Now, everyone there, the whole crowd, had witnessed this miracle. Everyone saw Jesus command this demon to come out of this boy and bring a smile, bring joy back to this desperate father. And they're astonished at what it says here in verse 43, at the majesty of God. And isn't that what's awesome here, right? The excitement was growing. What's awesome is Jesus is here. Look, you can imagine what the crowd is saying. You, you can imagine Jesus is here and they're thinking demons are fleeing his presence. Sickness is no more. People are getting healed. And then, right, Jesus is, uh, we saw the miracle of the five loaves, right? Or, yeah, two fish, five loaves, right? Feeding the thousands and poverty Hunger is no place when Jesus is around. The words he says soothes our soul. We hear God's word speaking to our hearts, unlike anything we've heard. Remember the Pharisees would say, report back uh, to the other Pharisees saying, hey, we never heard anyone like this. Fear turns to peace. The stress of living life is, is gone. They, they feel so good being with Jesus. Sadness turns to joy, and I'm sure this father was so joyful at this moment. So you can imagine these people, they're astonished at the majesty of God that Jesus is here. God is here. With Jesus, things seem so good. In Second Peter 1.16, it says, Peter writing, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know what Peter is saying is, we saw God. We saw him with our very own eyes. He was here. We, he worked powerfully. It was amazing here. And that's what everyone gets to see, the majesty of God. Things were going really, really good. 
And then verse 44, uh, and I'll back up, sorry, verse 43. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So as the crowd was marveling and are probably talking and just so happy, excited for Jesus being here, well, Jesus pulls the disciples aside and reminded them. Now, this is the second time. And he begins this way. The second time he's telling them this, he's saying, let these words sink into your ears. Yeah, let the words go in and and stay there. You know, I think we would say, don't let them go one ear and go out the other, right? Listen carefully to what I am saying. That's what Jesus is saying here. The Son of Man, if you remember, that's another word for the Messiah, is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Another translation says the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of men. He will be killed. Now, this is the second time. Jesus already told them at verse 2. Right? He told them there, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But once again, he's telling them, what's ahead? What's ahead? I mean, why would Jesus say this right in the middle of such a high, right? Everyone was so happy. Everyone's excited. What Peter, James, and John saw, a glimpse of his glory, in His majesty, right? Now, through this miracle of this demon cast out of this boy, everyone sees the majesty of God, Jesus, in His majestic glory and His power. So why would Jesus pull the disciples and say this, and that He's going to be betrayed and die? Why is he, it's, it's such a, everyone is so happy. It's such a great time. Why be such a, a Debbie Downer, I guess, yeah? Or Eeyore, like in Winnie the Pooh. Well, because the reason for the disciples, maybe even being excited, was really based on a false hope and misunderstanding. Whether the people or now the disciples, he's pulling the disciples in. He says, look, look, you guys. Hey, listen closely. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die, you guys. And why Jesus did that? Because he didn't want them to keep going on with a false hope and misunderstanding. Because remember we talked about this before. The people, including the disciples, were looking for a political messiah. Someone who would come and conquer the Romans, end the oppression, Yeah. Get rid of the oppression for good, and God could come in, rule the kingdom. They have a kingdom of God, and it would be like this there'll be the power of God going out, people being healed, no sickness, no more poverty, no more demons. They were looking at happy times ahead with the appearance of the Messiah which they saw as Jesus. He's the Messiah. This is the majesty of God. But then Jesus pulled the disciples over and told them of his future. You know why? To get them back into focus on the mission ahead. See, things started to look so good to them 
But Jesus said, hey, remember, I'm on this mission. Remember wait, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the mission explained. Jesus was explaining this in verse 22. He was explaining what's coming up. Jesus reminds them so they would not get so comfortable thinking, well, this is good. It's going to stay real good. Jesus reminds them to not get so comfortable for it's not going to be that nice. This is only for now. But there's something coming up down the road. Remember when Jesus told them first time about his coming death on the cross? Yeah. Here in verse 22. Remember what he said next? Look at verse 23. He said to, to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Remember we talked about there's no shortcut to glory. Remember the path to glory is paved with stones of sacrifice. That's what we see Jesus' life. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to deny ourselves and take up that cross. The path to glory is paved with stones of sacrifice. See, Jesus knows our human nature. When things are going good, we tend to focus in on that. We tend to enjoy our comfort and then you get so comfortable you don't want to deny yourself. You don't want to take up the cross daily. You don't want to follow that kind of path and fulfill God's mission. So Jesus is reminding them. Jesus tries to bring up, bring this to the disciples so that they would see, and this is our point, when things seem good, don't lose your focus on Jesus and the given mission. When things seem good, don't lose your focus on Jesus and the given mission. I, I'll tell you, this, this speaks to me. I mean, I, I think about sometimes, this is what I call it, sometimes I can get lazy about surfing. What's that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. What, is, what does that mean? Well, usually, you know, I, I love the sport. I love being in the water. I love this kind of exercise. And hardly anything stops me. Wind. <laughs> it's all right. We live Maui. You get used to the wind. So you, you still surf in the wind. Cloud comes over. It's not nice. It's okay. Uh, the water temperature sometimes drops. It gets cold. Maybe there's, there's a crowd. or Even when it rains, even if it's pouring, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I, I love it. I love being in the water. I love getting out. Yeah, I, sometimes I'll joke and say, oh, no, we'll be sitting in the water waiting for some sets and it starts to rain. Oh, no, we better go in. We're going to get all wet, you know, kind of thing. No, it, 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 I just got to go. I love it. But when I get lazy in surfing, you know what that means? That means I don't go unless it's perfect and sunny and no wind. Sometimes in the summer on the south shore, it's, it's, it's nice there. Not as much wind. It's nice and sunny. The water's super glassy and calm. Uh, there's some places with no crowd. And uh, the air's nice. The water's perfect temp, you know, summertime. And sometimes, oh, when the winter comes or when it starts getting cold, it's like, oh, I get lazy. Because I get so comfortable you know, on the south side in the summertime. And then when I get too comfortable at that point, I lose the reason why I was going in the first place and I get lazy in surfing. So that's what that means. But this is what like Jesus is saying. When things seem good, we tend to get comfortable in that. 
And we lose our focus in our mission. And then Jesus comes and asks us to do something. Go serve here. But we're like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. So Jesus is bringing them back. Remember the mission. Remember what I've told you. Don't lose your focus on me and the given mission. Perhaps you've lost your focus. Perhaps things have been good for you. Maybe you're doing well. Maybe things are starting to roll. Maybe you've come out of the trial and challenges and you're like, whew, this is, thank you, God. Thank you for answering my prayers. Maybe work's going good. Maybe your career's starting to t- take off. Maybe you have plenty. Maybe you have what you want. Maybe, maybe you're enjoying this time with not a lot of stress and, 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 and little stress, but be careful. I'm not saying we can't enjoy it. I'm not saying we can't thank God for it, but these can be dangerous times because we can get so comfortable yeah, in this place doing my thing and not wanting to do what God is calling you to do. So let's get back to what matters for the kingdom. Let's turn around and refocus on Jesus and the mission. Let's go to number three, our our last heading here, when it makes no sense. So we've seen here we've got to refocus on Jesus when the dark times come, when things seem good, but also when it makes no sense. And this is our last verse here, verse 45. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So Luke makes a comment here. We find out what's going on sort of behind, you know, it, uh, uh, an observation you can say after what Jesus said. And, and now Luke makes these comments. I want you to follow me here. Even though Jesus had announced this, shared this now the second time, it says here, first of all, the disciples did not understand what Jesus was saying. They did not understand. Why is that? Because what Jesus said didn't make sense with what they wanted to happen. That's why. Like the people, the disciples, as I mentioned, were, also, were looking for a political Messiah, not that sacrificing Messiah. So here's Jesus saying, nay, I'm going to die. Oh, well, huh? Right? It went against what they really wanted. It went against what they were expecting Jesus to do. So he says this, and it just kind of like stops in the brain and then kind of falls out like, uh, okay, whatever, right? They couldn't conceive all of that. That's why they did not understand because it didn't make sense for what they wanted to happen. They wanted Jesus to be that political Messiah. And then it's, there's an interesting thing here that says in verse 45, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. 
So the first thing the disciples did not understand, understand, but the significance of Jesus' death was concealed from the disciples. That, that's really the idea here. The full ramification, why, what Jesus was going to do on the cross and all that, it was kept from them. Why? Why is that? Well, two reasons. First of all, because they couldn't handle it. So God in His grace and mercy kept it from them. God knew that they wouldn't be able to handle it all, basically. I mean, they had a hard time just receiving that Jesus was going to die. I mean, remember how when Jesus was arrested, the disciples ran away. They were in a total loss. They were in fear, confusion, and panic. And if, 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 if Jesus really got into it and kept after them and, and really unfolded everything, I think it would have all fallen apart right there when he still had to work some training to do with the disciples. And the second thing is, I think Jesus still shared it so that God could put it in the back of their minds to later cement the truth of Jesus in their faith when they see Jesus resurrected. So God had to not give everything because they couldn't handle it all, but he gave enough. So it's still there in the back of their minds. So once Jesus died and rose again, it would all come together and that would cement that truth and their faith would grow even more. So the disciples did not understand. But at the same time, God held back the full ramification of the death. But then it says here at the end of verse 45, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So even though Jesus told them twice, now the third thing we see here that Luke comments on is even though the, Jesus told them twice now, the disciples were afraid to ask Jesus what it all means. They didn't want to talk about it, in other words. They didn't want to bring it up. And why is that? Well, some say it's their pride. Sometimes it's our pride that keeps us from asking questions. We don't want to look like foolish or we don't know. But I think they didn't ask because they did not want to accept it. That's what I think. Right? It was against what they wanted Jesus to do. It was against what they wanted from Jesus. It was against what they wanted for their own lives. We're going to see next time, they're going to get an argument about who's, going to, who's the greatest. Who's the greatest in this coming kingdom they believe that Jesus was going to set up. They wanted to be in these high positions. They wanted to be the right-hand man. They wanted to be the lieutenant for Jesus. They were arguing about that. And so all that Jesus was saying was against what they wanted for themselves. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, They were afraid to ask because they were beginning to realize that the ominous destiny facing Jesus had implication for their own lives too. What they hoped for, what they wanted... Oh, no, my hopes and dreams. What if Jesus dies? Wait, what's going to happen to us? No, 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 no. We, uh, we don't want to talk about that. So they didn't want to accept it. And so they didn't ask Jesus anything. So for our last point, 
when it makes no sense, we got to keep your focus. You got to keep your focus on what Jesus said and not your own thoughts. And that's what I want you to see because because these disciples were focused on themselves and they weren't listening to what God was saying. They weren't listening to what Jesus was saying, what's coming. They wouldn't accept it because they're all wrapped up in their own things. When it makes no sense, keep your focus on what Jesus said and not your own thoughts. I want to show you this, this picture. We could put that picture up, Jared. And um, it's, um, if you can see that, kind of interesting, right? It, it's not some helmet for a pilot on Star Wars, you know? <laughs> kind of looks like a thing like that. But it's actually a training visor uh, learn to fly by instrument. Training hood keeps the pilot from seeing out the cockpit window, but focus makes him focus on the instrument panel below. And so he is forced, the pilot who's training, he's forced to rely on the instrument gauges only. What they're training these pilots for is something called spatial disorientation. It's when an aircraft pilot flies, say, into storm clouds or clouds, and he no longer can see the horizon. You don't know what's up, up or down. There's no more point of reference, no land, no blue sky above. And so in those situations, your, your, sense and your senses and perceptions are unreliable. Sometimes you, you think you're, you're flying, right? But you're actually upside down flying. Or you, or you think if you're, 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 since you're upside down, you're, you're going to pull the stick and go up. You're actually heading down and you're going to crash. And people have died in that way. So this is how they train pilots to fly by instruments. The only way to make sense of things is to rely on what the instruments say. Well, that's like our lives with Jesus. We think we know, but we don't. And when we don't trust the word of Jesus, it's like we're trying to live this life in a cloud thinking we know what's up and down. I'll tell you, so many times I'm so stubborn I don't listen to Jesus. I don't really hear what he's saying. And, 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 and when it doesn't make sense to me, I say, ah, oh, no, forget it. We're, 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 we're people, we're human beings like, well, if it makes sense, then okay, I'll do it, God. If it makes sense, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go in that direction. But sometimes what God tells you won't make sense. But it's the Holy Spirit prompting you to take these steps because you know what? God has a plan in all of that. But sometimes in those moments, in that time where God's saying, hey, here's where you're headed. Sometimes we're so comfortable. No, I want you to do, well, I, how's it going to work out? Hey, it will. Just, just step out and you'll see. But, but, but God, I don't know. I, I, I got I to have something. I got to see something. No, just do it. But many times, you know what we do? We bail, right? Ah, forget it. We're not going to do it. Ah, I don't like this. Ah, it's not comfortable for me. And we keep doing what we think makes sense. But then, like pilots who don't 
learn to fly by the instrument, you crash in life instead. The disciples could not accept the thought that Jesus was to die. It was contrary to their plan, what they thought should happen. They did not want to believe what God said. They, 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 they're like, no, 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 we're just, we're just going to, uh-uh, yeah. We, we, we don't want to deal with it. We're not going to accept that. We, we don't want to deal with that right now. No, no. To me, it's like, a, like that ostrich, you know, putting their head in the sand, thinking, oh, no, no, we're not, we're not going to even deal with that, not doing anything. Is that you? Stubbornly living for yourself? Doing what you want? Doing what's convenient for you? Wanting only what you want? When our life is to be about Jesus. When we are supposed to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Him, we need to get back to what really matters. I'll close with something A.W. Tozer wrote. He said, If there is any reality within the whole sphere of human experience that is by its very nature worthy to challenge the mind, charm the heart, and bring the total life to a burning focus, it is the reality that revolves around the person of Christ. That's what we need to do tonight. Refocus on Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we come to a close tonight and as we're about to worship you one more time with one last song, Lord, help us to refocus on you. Perhaps our eyes have been wandering. Perhaps our mind has been on other things. Perhaps our heart has been given over to maybe some idols. Perhaps we've been getting off focus because we've gotten too comfortable and we're focusing in on our comfortableness and not your mission. Not that it's wrong to have times of rest and peace. Not that it's wrong that we have joy. Not that it's wrong to enjoy blessings that you've given us. But Lord, we never want the gift to get above the giver. We, we never want material goods to get above the mission given to us. Lord, we never want what we want to get above what you want for us. Lord, our lives are to be centered upon you and given over to you. And so tonight, God, that's the very thing that we do. Lord, we want to trust you in the path that you've set before us, God. And we know the path to glory is paved with stones of sacrifice. And God, we lay ourselves as a living sacrifice upon the altar today, Lord. God, that we live for you and nothing else. That everything we are, that we, are, that we think, that we hold in our hearts, every desire, Lord, every goal, we lay on the altar and we give over to you because ultimately we want our lives to be for you. 
So, Lord, we trust in you. For there is no other way, no other person that means so much, God, but you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So, God, we come to you right now and refocus our lives totally on you. And one more thing, God, I want to pray for anyone right now who's crying out to you, hearing your spirit and convicted, knowing they need to refocus. God, may you come, touch and heal them, and help them, God, to get back to you in everything, in every way, in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.